Hello. <clears throat> that was a bit too... <laughs> that was aggressive. That was aggressive for a Friday morning. Um, hello, everyone. Uh, this is a new episode of the CC Songbook. And today we are going to do something slightly more... Um, archive Yeah, we're diving deep into the CC back catalogue. Yes, we do. For the lost songs. The lost songs. If you just come up with a theme song just right now about the lost I feel like there should be like dinosaurs in the background. <laughs> no, wait, what's that? That's not a dinosaur. <laughs> no. The lost songs. <laughs> No, wait, that's, that's just... The, that's, 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 that's a seagull. <laughs> Seagulls still exist. Same thing, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> good start. Good start. So, yes, um, I have chosen uh, three old songs that I never play live anymore and people sometimes ask for and I'm like, yeah, I'm never playing that again, sorry. Um, <laughs> or um, maybe songs that, you know, kind of belong to me at once upon a time but no longer have any re- relevance in my in my life. And also, but let's be honest, is there also a little bit of like, I don't want people listening to that when I've got all this new, amazing stuff out. Yeah. <laughs> I knew it. Yeah. Knew it. Imagine if people go back and find this one song that maybe they'll really love it and then go to like the latest song and be like, what the hell happened? <laughs> she got, wow, she got miserable. Yeah, she got dark. Like what happened to her in the space of eight years? <laughs> Um, yeah, it's the equivalent of like going on someone's Facebook timeline, and you know, like when you go, you can go back and like see like what they look like at uni, and you're like, oh damn, mm. <laughs> time has not treated you kindly. <laughs> or I would argue, in your case, the opposite with your songs, because obviously you have grown and changed as an artist and found your own voice, and that was the most interesting thing about listening to these songs. Because admittedly, I am one of those people that is like, go on, let me hear the back catalogue, like, because obviously I didn't find your music until a lot later like recently in the last kind of few years so it's interesting for me to hear wow like how much you've evolved yeah it's pretty cool yeah it is cool I think it's really easy to forget actually just how far you've come as an artist or like a person you know you're all always living in the moment so much these days that you really forget where where you came from or I don't know, just like how I started writing songs when I was really, really young or what I thought was important at that time or who I, you know, who I should have sounded like. and Yeah, they're kind of like snapshots of, of exactly that, what you were going through at the time. Yeah. And what's funny, though, is is some of the themes are still, and obviously we'll dive into this when we like look at each individual song, but the similar themes are like love, family, loss. Like it's all very... It's all similar things, but it's interesting seeing like just how evolved you are in terms of your way of thinking about those things. Obviously, you're processing them differently. Yeah, that's totally true. I am still singing about the same things. Yep. <laughs> um, and I guess that's probably from a place of uh, only writing songs directly related to me. Like I'm not very good at writing things that haven't touched me in some way. Um, but yeah, I guess um, when I kind of listen back to those songs... I almost feel like I, I force them a bit too much. They're a bit too much, like in your face. This is what this song is about. Um, like a bit too, like on the nose, like. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Sometimes I really love on the nose, and I think there's always a time and a place for a song that's really on the nose. Um, but then I also look back and think, actually, maybe what I mean in terms of like forcing it is that I was trying to find 
clever metaphors for everything like mm. every single line in a lot of this stuff is just a metaphor and i probably didn't need to do that that's I, interesting I, maybe i was like trying to be a bit too clever I feel like that is like so I feel like everyone can relate to that though in terms of you look back at like your 18 20 year old self and you just think inside you think I how can I project to the world I know what I'm doing that I'm like you know I've like got it all together and I think yeah. you you make the sound uh, you know you everyone knows those people that try and make themselves make themselves sound really clever and actually they just end up it's just really obvious that they don't actually know mm-hmm. what they're talking about or they're like insecure because mm-hmm. they're just trying to like look how clever I am <laughs> it is yeah and it's a little bit of that I feel like everyone goes through that so yeah I'm glad I'm glad <laughs> <laughs> it's not just you with you have and love anyway so we've great segue so let's right so so we've got three songs as yes. Charlotte said and um we're going to do them in chronological order. So what kind of year are we going back to with this first song? So this first song, we are going back to maybe 2011 when I wrote it. I so how old would you have been then? Um, what's 2000, like nine years ago? Mm. So yeah, um, 20. 1920. 1920 years old. So I wrote it... I think I wrote it, I'm pretty certain I wrote it when I was 19, um, and I didn't release it until I was until I was 20. And what's the... So this the song that we're talking about is Love Songs, which, unfortunately for all you beautiful listeners, uh, isn't available readily <laughs> online because Charlotte took it down. But, obviously, we're going to play it here on this podcast, um, so it will be forever immortalised. But what about this song is significant in terms of, like, why have you chosen it out of, like, all the archive? Love Songs, for me... Um, even though I have a real uh, hate for it today, um, it did actually kickstart um, a lot of my career in music. It was um, kind of like the first proper song that was like properly re- like produced, and that might sound really silly, but I just started working with my producer, who a lot of people listening will know, Lee Russell, because me and him, you know, we're like kindred spirits. Um, and this was the first song that we worked on together. Um, and that was a massive milestone for me because we're still working together today and we're still, you know, developing together and trying to create something uh, super, you know, well, we're trying to create music that's super timeless. Um, so even though I hate this song, it actually does have a really special place in my heart because it's the first one I did with him. Mm. It's the first time I maybe had like a proper music video made. Um, and this song gave me a lot of really cool opportunities at a wildly young age um yeah it it just got me like loads and loads of gigs whilst I was still studying for my degree um so where did you release this song like would it have been MySpace or like how uh, did people find it I think this was in the days of iTunes okay so iTunes was awesome back then because you know we got paid a lot more money um (laughs) if you're listening Spotify (laughs) (laughs) um so yeah that went out on iTunes and um I had like my first um like batch of CDs pressed properly as well it wasn't like handmade anymore it was like Mm -hmm. legit like duplicated I think my stepdad paid for them to be made because I didn't have any money so stepdad invested in me thank you stepdad um, I think we had like 500 copies pressed, which is like so much for a new artist. Like I probably sold like 50 and I'm pretty sure I've got about 
200 left in the attic. Um, <laughs> Shout out, mum. <laughs> Shout out, mum. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, first CD printing, first music video. Um, I got my first manager off the back of this song, you know, which didn't last for long, side note. But mm. um, some really cool opportunities came off the back of that manager um, that, c- again, completely built my career to this day so that is so interesting that something you have such like a hatred for now still represents such amazing things that's yeah that's that's an interesting love-hate relationship it is yeah speaking of love let's crack on with song number one it's love songs love songs got everyone so wrong but if you're not loving you're not living and to live is just to love painted a hundred hearts so blue and made a melody for each of you stolen every story made of your soul Never mind to take I can be better than the ground I laid under I can be better than the ground I laid under It won't last forever, no Nothing does A day feels like forever when you're Pieces fallen, must we start? There's never just one broken heart. Taken every gift that was given, now give it back and you'll start living. A brown eyed child, it's time to go. Your dreams come breathe bright, you know. The heat is rising, feeling. can be My 
heart is beating louder at the thought of you my heart is beating louder at the thought of you my heart is beating louder at the thought of you my heart is beating louder at the thought of you my heart is beating louder and i don't know what to do because it won't last forever now nothing does a day falls like forever when you're young and you're in love Nothing really fits when you're changing every day Sing and love your heart out while you're finding your own way Too bad, I do like the ending. Really? <laughs> it's quite a good like ending. ending. I think it's quite good. I don't know, it's a little bit like... Yeah! <laughs> yeah, it's very like, it's very naughty. It's like, it's very of the era that it was written. You know what I mean? Like. Oh my God, yes. So, so the first thing that screams out when I listen to this song is just like how different your voice is. Yeah, I sound like a fetus. <laughs> Like, my voice is so thin, there's no body, there's no tone, there's no depth. I'm just, like, singing, like, from the throat, if you get it. Like, right. I'm, just, I'm just singing from here, and none of your soul really exists in your throat at all. Right. Like, if you really sing something or write something and mean it, it, it comes from your tummy. Oh, interesting. Like, okay. that's where the depth of something, or the depth of voice comes from. That's that's how I feel, anyway. That's how it feels when I sing. Yeah. So when I sing from that, I just, when I hear this, sorry, I just can hear myself being really young and shrill and um loud and punchy and all of the things that today I would never do that is so and and what about that time in your life when you wrote this made you that like did you know at the time like oh I sound or or was it just like you know I really want to make it and this is kind of what the artist because it's very like Lily Allen Kate Nash vibe right yeah and that is the era you've knocked it on the head yeah I was in love with them I was like massively obsessed with Lily and Kate. Right, that doesn't surprise me. Actually. They were, they were just like the beacons of of women in, in music at the time, and Kate Nash especially. She kind of come along and she was uh, doing something really, really different and speaky, and mm. you know, and she still kind of uses her talking voice now when she sings, but that's hers. You yeah, know, that's her voice. Yeah. Um, and that kind of style of singing will forever belong to her. And I think she's really, really good at it. And I still love her today. So I was trying really hard to imitate that. And, you know, kind of, yeah, stealing her voice. And also stealing a little bit of Lily's as well, who I still love today. Um, there wasn't a lot of incredible female representation back then, I don't think. Mm. Um, when I look back to my younger years, I think about young women in music. It's probably Lily and Kate. Yeah. That's probably who I grew up to um, listening to. And then eventually along came Laura Marlin, who, you know, which kind of steered me down more of the folk path. But this song is like just like acoustic pop music. Yeah. You know? Um, so one of the... Also, my brain just went, oh, we must do a podcast about 
like the female influences that you've had in terms of like musically like, oh yeah like some through of the, the ages yeah or just in general like not even necessarily just females just okay, yeah. who those influences were at different times of your life yeah let's do it that would be really good side note hold tight listeners <laughs> okay but going back to love songs so yeah. one of the first things you said when we put it on was oh i can just hear how constructed it was so tell me a bit more about mm-hmm. that what do you mean by that so in terms of like the structure of the song, I can remember really vividly, I was at university sitting on the end of my bed writing this song mm-hmm. and I was really fighting something. I I was kind of writing this song about being young and being in love, which is, you know, no matter how old you are, you're always, you're always going to think about the first person you loved. Yeah. And I was just, I was really fighting the instinct to talk about feelings for someone that I'd just been in a relationship with because I was in a relationship in my first ever relationship with a woman and then I kind of found myself in a relationship with another woman like not at the same time but like (laughs) a couple of months apart you know um and I was really fighting the instinct of uh writing about my ex-girlfriend even though I felt really really strongly for her still and I was trying to create this song which completely embodied the idea of being allowed to be young and in love and accepting that you're going to change and going to make mistakes and you're going to fall in love with someone one day but then love someone the next and that's okay which as a message is a really positive message but Mm. I didn't get it quite right with this song it's interesting it's like the equivalent of being like yeah, yeah, I'm like totally over it. Like, don't ask. Yeah, what are you? T- yeah, whatever. Like, yeah, like, <laughs> but that... yeah, like you know, you, you meet someone and then you just like you meet someone else. Yeah, like, there's nothing <laughs> wrong with that. that. <laughs> yeah, which is like you say, it's totally true. But it, it's almost like all of uh, the things combined with this song kind of feels like you're trying to convince yourself of that. Yeah, yeah, I was really trying to convince myself that um, I didn't care about my ex-girlfriend anymore. I cared about my current girlfriend, and that wasn't the case. You know, I was really, really young, fighting the natural instinct to write a love song about my ex-girlfriend. Mm. Instead, I spun that and yeah. thought, no, let's write something that includes a little bit of my current girlfriend and a little bit of my friends and their relationships, when really I could have just... I think the, the very, very first line, wrote a thousand love songs, got everyone so wrong. I wrote that because I was thinking about my ex-girlfriend and I was thinking about all of the horrible songs I wrote about her. Oh, really? Yeah, like, I was going back to being maybe 18 and, you know, she broke my heart, <laughs> really. Mm. <laughs> oh, and, hang um, on a second. <laughs> Let me just get the therapy chair out. <laughs> okay, tell me about how she broke your heart. Um, <laughs> yeah. But she did and like, I felt um, I experienced heartbreak for the first time. Mm. And Oh, it's nasty. You know, and when you experience that, that's all really that you want to write about. Yeah, and, it's all consuming. Yeah, and there was like, I released a couple of songs about this girlfriend and thought that I'd tied up this experience in a neat bow. And when these other songs were coming into play, I didn't want to accept that they were still about her. Mm. So love songs really should have been about that. So I wonder, so do you think, uh, obviously there is the practical and the technical things that you don't like about this song, but do you also think that you don't like it because it has all these kind of memories attached to it? Yeah. Yeah, I think it reminds me of a time that I wasn't being true to myself. Mm. And that can 
like sit in a weird place you know it's like when you see like an old photo of yourself and you knew you weren't very well yeah. or you, you were you're on holiday with your friends but you knew that you were having the most terrible time but this photo says you were having the best time of your life mm. like social media Hello. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this this is what this song reminds for me mm. and it's i don't know it just sits in a weird place of me like not listening to like my instincts not it sounds really cliche, but not following my heart, you yeah. know, like it's cliche for a reason. Um, yeah, it's just, it's totally cliche, and and yeah, it just it completely reminds me of being eighteen and nineteen, heartbroken but convinced that I was okay. And you know, if I if I admitted the fact that I needed to still write songs about her, does it mean I'm still in love with her? You mm. know, and I didn't want to face that truth. I didn't even want to think about it. Um, so then I started constructing love songs in this warped way that just feels really fake. What What's interesting is it's like, it, it still feels like a banger. <laughs> like it still feels <laughs> like, it's catchy, it gets it in your head. Catchy. It's very, but then that, I mean, your songs now are like catchy, but they're, it's like a totally different, in a totally different way. This is like, kind of that more slightly manufactured pop vibe of mm-hmm. like it's it's kind of designed to get in your head yeah again it, which was completely constructed yeah you know, like it didn't none of this song came naturally to me really i was like constantly trying to find um ways in which to make it catchy which don't get me wrong sometimes is a really clever thing especially if you're a professional songwriter but 18 years old everything about it just felt it made me feel icky, mm. you know, and even though it gave me so many cool opportunities off the back of, I still look back and just think, ah, oh, that wasn't me. Yeah. And, but then I didn't really know who I was back then. Yeah, like, and the thing is, you were putting it out so publicly, how, you know, it's not like, it would it would take a lot for someone at that age to put that all out into the world and be like, I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah. I, I mean, do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I feel like, like we, we, yeah, we were living in a time where no one admitted that yeah we were living through that peak kind of like everything's fine gloss over everything like that kind of that sheen of of the the, the public facing um ness that you put on everything um which i think weirdly there's like a kind of counterculture happening now where it's it's kind of more cool <laughs> to kind of be a bit more honest and a yeah. bit more truthful and be like yeah i'm having a full-on crisis like <laughs> but it's all good like <laughs> but you know being a bit more like which obviously uh, a lot of your songs now come from a place where they're so raw and so authentic and so Mm -hmm. it's like totally, yeah, it's totally different. It's interesting to see that kind of arc. And you had one um, interesting uh, tidbit, trivia fact about this song, about the little chime. Trivia fact. Um, There's like a lovely sound throughout most of the record, but you um, really hear it from the bridge to the chorus where it goes do, 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 like, Mm -hmm. and that's called a mellotron. Right, what's that? Right, so Mellotron is a super luxurious sound used in uh, used in music. And when I first started working with Lee Russell, um, I was way out of my depth. Like I had like a couple of okay songs, but he was and still is um, one of the best record producers, like in the UK in the world. Like, wow. and I'm not just saying that because I love him dearly. That's yeah. what I truly believe. Um, and, you know, he was putting these, like, vintage guitars my way, these amps that I've never heard of, like, 
you know, I was like 19, 20 years old in this world that I never imagined myself in. Yeah. And um, he was like, oh, you know, we need, we need like some sort of organ sound for this song. And he sent over this Mellotron to me. And I was like, this is a horrible sound. This is, <laughs> this is what is this sound? What is a Mellotron? I've never heard of it. Like, oh my God, hate it. Mm. And he was just like, he knew obviously I was very, very young. And he was just like, yeah, she doesn't know what she's talking about. And I didn't know what I was talking about. Because to me, it sounded like some pan flutes. Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like a hunter's vibes. Like. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, no, like... Oh God, I don't know what, I can't really remember specifically what it was about the Mellotron that I didn't like, but it was from a place of just like pure ignorance Mm. and never, never hearing a sound before. So not really knowing what it was. So therefore not liking it. And are there any, do you use it in any of your more recent music? Uh, Yeah, I think the Mellotron Mm. has appeared in a couple of songs before and now it's like the warmest, most loveliest sound I've ever heard. I wonder if it's a bit like, I'm I'm starting to like realise this with music, having like, having had you come into my life, is that it's a little bit like coffee in the sense of like, (laughs) when you don't like it, you can't imagine ever liking it. You're like, this Mm. is vile. Like, what are you tasting? That what you know what I mean? Like you just can't wrap your head around it. And then one day you like slowly like introduce it, and you're like, mm, it's still gross, but mm. and, and then eventually you're waking up at like seven, like like can't wait to get downstairs and have a cup of coffee. <laughs> and so I true. right, and it's like it's that weird like. I think it's like gradual kind of like taste change, and I think like with music, what from the conversations we've had. It's, it's kind of like the recognising of like certain things and like, you know, most, the average consumer of music would be, you know, they would be listening to pop songs, not really, you've said this to me loads of times, not really knowing why you like it, mm-hmm. but you just do and you're like, oh, well, that's because it's, you know, it's super bright and it's super like this and like yeah. they've done this and, and it's funny because now I can, I can start to hear the differences a little bit more. I'm glad about that. <laughs> Thanks, babe. <laughs> You're introducing wonderful things into my life. Am I? Coffee, beer, olives, and good taste in music. Oh yeah, I'm proud. Um, but yeah, like, was that was that even for someone who was writing songs for a, mm-hmm. from such a young age? Is that a journey that you've gone on? Is that something that you know, or have you always just like kind of? Yeah, I think there's a journey you never stop going on because. I think the more you listen to music and the more you kind of go backwards and stop listening to modern music especially, you go back and hear like the origins of music or, you know, you think, okay, so, you know, like if my favourite favorite artist at that time was like Laura Marlin, for example, okay, let's go into Joni Mitchell. And you kind of go backwards and you start to hear where these sounds came from. And then you just kind of think that completely shaped the music then afterwards. So then I, I mean, I started doing stuff like that naturally. And then that kind of led me on this whole new spiral of kind of moving away from the pop music I was listening to and listening to stuff I never would have found. And a lot of that does come down to Mr. Lee Russell. Yeah. um, You know, he was the one that, you know, I think the first guitar I ever played with him and I was used to playing like 50 pound guitars, I mean from PMT, like really, really cheap plastic <laughs> things. First one he put in my hands was some like crazy vintage Gibson. And I didn't even know what Gibson was. Yeah. You know, I didn't even realize I was vintage guitars. And, but then he kind of thought, oh, this is what a vintage guitar sounds like. And this is what a new shiny plastic guitar sounds like. And you don't have to be a musician to know that the, vin- the vintage one's gonna sound a lot warmer. 
Um, so when I heard that Mellotron for the first time, I was like, bah, what is this old sounding weird flute? Yeah. You know, and he was so offended. Really? He sent me away with a DVD about the Mellotron. Yeah. Like, <laughs> the original uh, passive aggressive YouTube link. <laughs> Educate yourself, woman. Exactly. And, you know, and hands up, like, I must have been not annoying to work with. I think I've always been all right, but. Um, I must have like turned my nose up at so much stuff just because I was young and thought like pop music was the way forward and I knew better because I was young I don't know you know you just have that when you're really young you just have that mindset sometimes don't you 100% 100% I bet we we, we'll probably look back at this in 10 years and be like ha 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 we thought we knew (laughs) what we were talking about like (laughs) (laughs) although I feel like as you get older you kind of become okay like you kind of I think and this is just life in general, not when you're, like, creating art. But um, in general, you start off, like, you know, you kind of go to uni. Yeah, I'm an adult. I'm in the world. Cool. Yeah, I'm figuring this out. You get out of uni. You're like, shit, this is scary. But okay, yeah, I know exactly what I want from life. I know what I'm doing. And then you have your quarter life crisis. And then you're like, yeah. oh, fuck, I know nothing about anything. And then you kind of just become okay with the fact that the whole point of life is that you just never know anything and you just go through life like learning new stuff and that's okay I feel, no like, one... I feel like I'm there now yeah I think I'm like living in that time right now in that like like oh okay like, it is what it is it is what it is if I don't know something I'll read a book about it yeah like um, I've made my peace with with that <laughs> but also I think like that's like really it's like an important part of life to get to because that, that whole like phrase about you, know, you can't put old head on young shoulders mm-hmm. kind of thing like I used to think that that was, like, more about knowledge than experience. But now I'm like, oh, no, I think, like, the secret that all old people know is that you're just asking questions and always be educating yourself and always, like, be open to new things. Yeah. Like, a Mellotron. A Mellotron. <laughs> and I am very open to it now. Thank you, Lee Russell. <laughs> he must have been so frustrated. Yeah, like, who is this girl yeah. that does not know exactly what a Mellotron is? Yeah. This thing cost 50 grand. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. <laughs> like, yeah, he, mm. he, he must have had so much patience when we had that argument because he probably had that war of, I'm giving this this girl the most luxurious sound in the world and she's, like, shitting all over it. <laughs> you know, like, who is this girl that all she does is listen to Kate Nash and Lily Allen, you know? <laughs> no wonder why he pushed better music on to me but what's interesting about that and obviously we we're going to move on to the next song now because uh obviously this is just the start of your journey but what's interesting about that is he must have seen something in you even then even when you know arguably you're looking back at that and it's like you this is unrecognizable compared to what you have now become but he saw something in you if if i'm being completely honest Mm -hmm. the only reason and he's not afraid to say this to me he helped me with this first EP was because he said he he liked me as a person, but he knew that I would get shat on if I worked with anybody else. Really? Yeah. He says he says like, yeah, you're all right. You know, he didn't like tell me I was incredible, really, and or not incredible. He doesn't tell me I'm incredible today. Although sometimes if it's feeling nice, <laughs> but like you, you get know, enough of that in your life. Yeah, yeah. Think. Like um, he didn't really um, start not realising I was good. I think he always knew I had potential from the moment we met because we just kind of gelled really quickly and mm. 
I don't know, there was this weird respect that we had from the very moment that we met, which we still have today. And he, yeah, he was doing it from a place of protection, I think, because mm. he thought, there's this young girl, she's working really hard. She keeps hounding me to work with me. Like, okay, let's see what you've got. Hustle. Um, I was hustling. That's that baby woman hustle yeah, right there. that's right. Um, so then, yeah, he, he works with me on love songs. And, and then I think eventually he starts to see oh, this girl just isn't stopping. Like, mm. she's relentless and, you know, like, hats off to her. Um, so I think it took us both a, a while, really, to come to have the relationship that we have today. Um, so, yeah, I don't know if he did hear potential. I think he just... It would be fascinating to do an episode with him to talk about your journey together. That would be really interesting. It would be good, yeah. I'd be terrified of what he would say. I don't think I could be in the room. <laughs> I think we're like, Alex, you go talk to Lee. See you later. Yeah, I'm going to go have a coffee. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so we're going to go into the next one. What's it yes. called again? Uh, in the... the next song is called In the Night. So <laughs> Love Songs was from the Let It Go EP in 2012. Mm-hmm. And then uh, In the Night EP came a year later in 2013. Okay, so this is just a... So to put into perspective, this is a year later. Where are you now in your life? You're still at uni? Uh, no, I finished uni. Okay. So I'm one year out of uni. I am living uh, back home with my mum. Mm-hmm. Um, what am I doing? I think I'm working at Waitrose. Cool. Yeah, that's what I'm doing. Respect. I'm working at Waitrose and I'm gigging a lot. Like, the year this EP came out was the year I played, like, over 150 gigs. Wow. Um, again, with the same manager that I had for the the let it go ep with love songs on um and i was just playing like in every single pub every coffee shop any gig that landed in the inbox i went and did yeah um so i was like massively hustling when okay. i when i did this song. and context what is this song about uh in the night is um a song about a time in my life where um, me and my dad didn't really get on very well and i didn't see him at all really um and he was kind of, he was on his own journey trying to figure himself out and i was just the daughter that always looked up to him so when he was on that journey i felt massively abandoned and i felt you know like this is the end of the world like my dad's left me mm. um looking back you know you have to respect that your parents are humans and they're going to do their thing mm. at the time it was just the worst thing in the world of course um so this is a song about about that because I in everyday life I was convincing my mum and and my sister and everyone around me that I was okay with this it was fine dad would come back to me eventually but that wasn't the case I was really really heartbroken um I had depression for the first time and every time I went to sleep I would dream about him and it was getting to the point where I was just like will you just like please like get the fuck out of my head because on the outside, I was so convinced that I was okay. I was playing all these shows and releasing music. I had a manager and everything was just going right. But I, there was so much me that that just wasn't right. Mm. Um, it, I was in a really, really dark place. Which is funny because it's called In the Night. So they go. <laughs> <laughs> Poetry! <laughs> but this, is, okay. uh, this is literally about having nightmares. About someone that you really don't want to have to confront in, in your daily life. Wow, Okay. Let's let's play the song. I'm going to give you a cuddle <laughs> and a cup of tea.
Okay, so I just have to like, <laughs> I have to come clean. Come on then. <laughs> when you sent me these songs, when I listened to this song, I had no idea what it was about, but all I heard was the lyric, <laughs> uh, leave me now or, or fall asleep inside me or something. And I was like, Charlotte Carpenter, you dirty girl. 
<laughs> Which now knowing that it's a song about being abandoned by your dad feels like pretty off message. But I for sure thought this is some like kinky sex song or something. <laughs> no. <laughs> No, it's just about being abandoned. No, actually, it's just about feeling a little bit abandoned. <laughs> no, it's not about that, Alex Rawl. And do you know what? You're not the first person to say this to me. <laughs> ah, see, there is something in it then. So Choice of words. Choice of yeah. words. Fall asleep inside me. What What? What does that correlate to <laughs> what then? What was I thinking? Yeah. What, I mean, <laughs> what I was thinking about was that when you fall asleep, you know, your subconscious, or your, is that the word? The subconscious, yeah. yeah. It will give you, it will just fill your mind with everything that you're not allowing yourself to think about in, in reality. Right, okay. So, you know, like all of these feelings and anxieties I had about my family, um, they were coming to get me in my sleep. They were falling asleep inside my mind. Oh, but then, but they were like, right. But then like, then waking up inside my mind in my sleep. Yeah, so kind you of know. like you were going to sleep and they were like awakening. Yes, they like were. You, you were running from them in, in... Yeah, and I was constantly dreaming of, of of my family and my dad and what he was doing, you know. And I, I didn't know what he was doing and that was a part of the anxiety. I didn't understand why he felt like he had to go and, you know, go on a different journey for a little while. Mm. Um, and I was really battling with that. Like the whole of the... The, even the, the song's called it in the night but that's also the name of the ep and every single song in this ep is completely about feeling abandoned as a child wow and just feeling like i can just i can even like just naming the the, the song titles the first one was called blame it on anything and that was about me blaming my bad moods on like anything i could think of and not saying anything about my dad the second one was called turn to dust which again is about um how family the ties that you have with your family can come to nothing. Wow. I know. The yeah. third one, what became of us, was about the relationships I had in my life around that time that were, again, coming to nothing. So it was a morbid EP. Yeah. Really, really morbid. Not all of it sounds that morbid. I kind of sugarcoated it now and again and made listeners feel as if they were listening to this chirpy folk song. Yeah. But actually they were listening to something um, really, really, really dark. Which is, because uh, recently we talked, obviously, um, about Follow You Down, and you said, like, a similar thing about that. Like, it's a really dark song with this kind of, like, uplifting. Mm -hmm. And so what, like, what about that style appeals to you? I kind of love the idea of catching listeners off guard. Mm. I love them being drawn into something that feels quite uplifting and writing lyrics that make them pay attention they're like oh hang on a minute this isn't about what i thought it was about <laughs> <laughs> guilty, guilty. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah and i really i still love doing that today um and this was kind of the first time that i played played around with that but if the whole of that ep sounds quite folky and chirpy apart from in the night in the night mm. is actually just straight up really dark yeah like there's no sugar coating this feeling of um you know these nightmares that come and get you every single day and yeah. they were happening every single day so that's interesting that you've gone in the space of a year you've gone from sugar coat manufacture just do what 
you know, just kind of like, yeah, you know, put a glossy filter over it to I'm just going to bear all and I'm just going to mm-hmm. write. So what what is that emotional journey for you over that year? Who, like, what realisation have you come to? Especially because you had some success with Love Song. So mm-hmm. how did you go from that mm-hmm. to this? I think it came naturally with age, I think. No, not that much age, because only a year had passed between them them two songs. But, but in your 20s, um, a year is like a decade. But then when, in the love songs uh, area, um, I hadn't really felt any real heartbreak, apart from that one girlfriend I mentioned. But when it came to writing these songs, it was the first time in my life that I'd felt as if I'd felt real pain. You know, and it wasn't a heartbreak, it was like family pain. So it was like a different sort of like deep pain, you know. Um, And I think maybe that kind of flicked a switch or something in my mind where I thought, you know, I'm actually feeling real heartbreak here and suddenly I'm thinking about life differently and I don't really want to wake up like and have and go to work every day. You know, I wanted to stay on my own and, and grieve. I felt like when I was writing this EP, I was grieving, really. Wow. For, for missing my dad so much. And when you put it out, was it, was there kind of like this relief, like closure? Um, or was it just, I just need to get this out? Yeah, it was just a case of, I need to get this out. I need to, yeah. There wasn't a lot of, uh, like, construction around this EP, like I mentioned with Love Songs. Like, mm-hmm. the, the, it was very much, I've just wrote this song let's record it today it was very much that it wasn't as much of um let me just like really get this lyric right or let me just really work on this chord it wasn't it wasn't like that it was really 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 cathartic and would you say that this was like the first time that you felt like you were coming into your own and like finding your own voice in music or I definitely felt as if um I'd found a way of writing music that felt right for me so I'd kind of stepped a little bit way a little bit further away from that kind of like pop songwriting and more along the lines of like let's really talk about that dark thing that you feel with your acoustic guitar like Mm. you know let's maybe not come up with that as like that as many as many metaphors even though in the night actually is quite a large metaphor um on its own i didn't uh it didn't shy away from just saying things as they were yeah like as much as I did in love songs um and you talked about with um with this obviously it's a lot more kind of it just came out and you wanted to just like get out get into the studio and record it um but then you were mentioning just whilst we were listening to it that uh you could hear that it was really out of time so Mm -hmm. were you battling trying to be just as emotionally present when you were recording it mm-hmm. as well as then technically having to try and keep it and, and what was that recording process like I think in my early years uh you know I wasn't I wasn't good enough emotionally I felt like I was good enough but technically I wasn't so I was still kind of learning the guitar I was still getting my head around what the chords were and what chords I should go to next and you know what strings I should be playing when I play certain chords um so I kind of felt, from a like a music point of view, I was definitely making it up as I went along. But emotionally, I felt like I was far more developed than I was musically, if that mm. makes sense. Um, 
So when it came to recording it, I couldn't really play along to a click very well. I was terrible. And I'm still a bit crap today, if I'm honest. (laughs) But I'm better than what I was back then. And so when Lee would put like a, a click in front of me, I would just like spaz out. And so what's what is <laughs> what's a click? A like, click is like a metronome. So like oh, okay. in a recording scenario, you've got to follow that beat and play in time the whole way through. Right. But I, despite I went, despite having gone to university to do music, yeah, <laughs> still couldn't do that very well. Um, <laughs> so you know, and we we were kind of accepted that that was a weakness of mine at that point. Um, one of the most beautiful beautiful things with Lee Russell is that he never really forces you to go ahead and do these things. Like, he definitely always tells me, like, oh, are you, you know, practising to a click? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but we were like, okay, so this is what we're working with right now. And um, rather than play to a click, he'd play along with me. Oh, nice. But he would be if he would be following me so he'd never be leading the song I'd just be strumming away and he'd be following me but the the acoustic guitar take in this song is just yeah wildly out of time like the verses kind of feel pretty good but when it has that whole like start thing so like Mm. that that's not the same every single time it happens oh and we kind of tried to make it sound as if it was meant to be that way but it absolutely 110 percent not like, <laughs> just because you're terrible timekeeping yeah <laughs> terrible timekeeping I, I, I listen to it now like i don't even know what timing i'm doing i don't know what i'm doing i think i was so emotionally engrossed in this record that i just played to feel it mm. um which is incredible to do because it means all of that raw emotion was there and captured in the song but from a musical standpoint yeah, it's all over the place. But then, what's interesting to me about that, as someone not in the music industry, is that to me is like, surely that's the beauty of songs, though. Like, the imperfection is the beauty. Like, because otherwise, if you do everything so technically, it's a bit like when I see films where people have, like, it's just, you can, it's just so clear that it's a student film because it's like the exact prescribed shots that you were taught in film school like wide shot to a close-up to it you know it's so (laughs) prescribed and you're just like there's no character to this this is just Mm -hmm. so formulaic so surely that is the beauty in music is like those kind of yeah imperfections i do yeah i'm I'm a big lover of imperfections especially when there's those stories to tell about them Mm. um and that's a that's a, a massive lesson that, that Lee's taught me over the years of recording with him. Just so when to accept an imperfection and when to accept that, you know, your voice wobbled a bit then, but you're actually singing something really emotional, so let it wobble. Yeah. If it's slightly out of tune, let's keep it. Um, and that's been a massive learning curve anyway, because the stuff I was listening to really was pitch and time perfect. Mm. I wasn't listening to things with imperfections at all. Is um, that like a relatively new thing? Is that like a pop thing? Like the uh, perfection. I, I think that's still going in pop music today. It's so right. painfully perfect, you know. And sometimes that's cool, and other times you just think, "Oh God, give me something more." You yeah. know. I've been saying for ages, I'm waiting for the day that Katy Perry brings out a country record because mm. it would be great. Yeah. Well, it's a bit. We literally before we started recording the podcast, we were talking about Lady Gaga and how she's stolen our uh, production method of just shooting music videos on iPhones. Way ahead of our times. <laughs> um, but you were saying, we were saying about how obviously she seems to be going back to 
that kind of more over the top kind of artsy vibe that she did originally but um but obviously with Joanne and that whole thing that was a lot more stripped back I bet you were like creaming your pants when that came out (laughs) I was all over Joanne like one of the best probably in my like top 10 records of all time now really because the the message of that whole record was so clear yeah you know she knew what she was writing about it's from a really personal personal standpoint but even when she even the massive pop songs in that record feel so real and so authentic and not actually that manufactured at all. Um, yeah, I'm just, I'm just not a massive fan of manufactured stuff, I guess. Yeah. I used to be. I used to love it. Yeah. Like, looking back, Lily and Kate and whoever else I was listening to when I was young, completely manufactured. Yeah. Interesting. Very interesting. And you were saying about this song... Um, just bring it back because I can't yeah. think of a good segue. Um, you were saying that this is the first kind of time that you're playing with bands, so yes. what's that kind of um, experience like? How did that come about? I've, I've been playing solo like my whole life, and I still do today. I play mostly solo, but um, when this EP and this song came out, um, I kind of toyed with the idea of doing some band shows, and the idea of having a band was always like, you know, next level, um, which I don't think is always the case. Like, sometimes I see people play on their own and play them with their band, and I much prefer them on their own. Mm. It just depends what your taste is like, but um, it was the first time I ever had, like, the sounds of the EP and the songs replicated in real life on stage and um i had lee lee was in the band and uh a friend of you from friend of mine from uni called dan he was in the band playing drums and um i remember like my first ever band show it was like a really like charlotte carpenter and band vibe (laughs) it was at the hare and hounds in birmingham and it was a support show opening up for jim lockie and the solemn son from cheltenham i remember it so vividly like, I remember what I was wearing, everything. Yeah? Yeah. I think I was wearing a flannel shirt with, like, denim shorts. <laughs> cool. But, like, That's denim, a vibe. <laughs> but, like, denim shorts with tights, you know, like... Oh, yeah. Oh, know, that, was a, that was a thing. It was a that thing. That was a thing, And I was, yeah. like, trying to be, like, grungy and cool on top, but had, like, that towny girl vibe on the bottom. Yeah. <laughs> kind of but then, like, with, like, high-top bands. Like, Ooh. trying to keep it cool. Yeah. Um, and I remember really clearly, like, playing with the band for the first time and it being... Back then, it was it felt really easy and natural. We had loads of time in band practice and stuff. Um, again, that like opened up a whole new chapter because from that point onwards, I played mostly with the band, and every tour then turned into a band tour. Oh, really? Yeah, for years I played with the band until it got to the point where I was like, "This is really expensive." I was gonna ask, like, what's the difference really? Like, apart from the sound, obviously, the sound's totally different. But um, what's the difference between playing? with a band and playing solo? I mean, you've just got, like, a million and one more logistics to think about. You've got, you know, can we afford the van hire? Is the sound engineer going to be good enough? Um, is the stage going to be big enough? Is the PA going to be good enough for the band setup? You know, suddenly I was in a world of having to consider all of these things and actually not earning a lot of money. I was still getting, like, £30, £50 a show, but having to pay for three people with van hire mileage and all of this stuff so um how do you pay for that i mean through merch sales fees money from uh my part-time jobs um lee helping me out on the road you know my drummer never expecting to be paid you know it was 
I had some really good people around me and I still do today I have amazing people around me that understand that being an independent musician is really difficult so there's not a lot of money in it um but when I look back and think about playing with the band during like the in the night tour it wasn't that stressful it was Mm. like the easiest thing just rock up and not think about it and it's not until you become older and start to take your career not more seriously because I I did take it super seriously back then but you start thinking about you start thinking about it a bit more in terms of what you know you're just thinking like oh does my amp sound this good like maybe he drummed a bit too loud last night I can't really hear myself sing you know you, you become really really picky because you want to do the best job possible but when I was really young with the band it was just like rock up plug in play don't even think about it you know and there was a beauty to that and yeah. I really hope that someday when I play with the band again I will feel that way but actually playing with a band is hard work yeah there's so much to think about suddenly you're not just thinking about yourself you're thinking about two other people on stage as well and that's like that's a weight yeah it makes sense really like when yeah when you say it like that it does make sense that of course like you're just going to 3x everything and actually again it's that the plague of knowledge is that Mm. now you know that and so you can't unsee it you can't you probably couldn't now go into um well I don't know even like in the time that I've seen you like set up for shows like I see how long it takes and I see like you know to me my ears it's like I can't tell the difference between this or that and you're Mm. like oh it's a massive difference like because it's doing this or you know it's it's the way that it echoes or I don't know (laughs) like all the stuff that you do that I'm like cool okay Yeah. (laughs) yeah it's like that amplified with the band everything's just longer and I love it because it really fills out the songs that we work on in the studio and there's like a really warm loving noise constantly um but you have to pick and choose when that's the right time you know there's been venues where i took a band to that in hindsight i'm like why did i take the band there we must have sounded like shit really (laughs) why just like really tiny room with like a pa with no subs so you can't really hear the bass very clearly right you know and yeah which is cool because i went and did it and we have all these cool like terrible stories of touring back in the day um but then you kind of look at things a bit more pragmatically and maybe that's a bit crap sometimes maybe i should just get the band together for one rago show even if it's terrible but we're all secretly control freaks oh well that that's (laughs) the thing right i i i um i often like have kind of development meetings around films where um like I'm I'm there as the director not the producer I'm there as the director my whole the whole point of me being there is to purely look at something from a creative point of view but I just because I'm because I am so wired to be a producer as well I can't help but think of the logistics mm-hmm. so I'm like cool yeah there's part of me that would love to rock up and just be like yeah, like, and then we're gonna, like, you know, whiz the camera around on, like, a zip wire, and, like, you know, I want, like, this cool, amazing, like, transition shot, which is gonna require, like, pyro, and I would love that, but, like, my producer brain is going, well, where's that money coming from? Like, what, that's now, like, a five-day shoot and not a one-day shoot, like, why on earth would you do that? And you can only afford two actors, so, you know what I mean? It's it's kind of, like, there's, I think it's, in the world of independent art-making, I think it's really important, but there is a part of you that always thinks, wouldn't it be nice to just like... Go back to that time, you didn't really care as much as you do now. Yeah, and you're just so naive about everything, that you're just mm. like, oh, you just mm. make it work, like, mm. yeah. we'll just see how it turns out. Yeah. 
And I wonder from a point of view of an audience member, what is the difference? You know, like, because if it's like, oh, it's only like 10% better Mm -hmm. experience for the super controlled, super thought through, super whatever it is, um, compared to the just super rago, you know, that 10% difference, is it worth the 80% of energy that you've expended on making it that 10% better? It would be interesting, um, and this is going out to anyone that's listening to the CC songbook today, um, because <laughs> there's going to be some people that listen to listen to this that might have seen me back in the day perform songs like In the Night, mm. but then also now, the last time I toured with the band was maybe about eighteen months ago, and they would have seen me, you know, in the era of songs like Baby Woman and Firefall Band, and like how they seen it change because one yeah. is way more control freaks than the other. Yeah, it'd be interesting. Yeah, so shout out. Let me know what you think. Yeah, hardcore CC fans, get in touch. Come through. Um, yeah, that would be really interesting. And then maybe we'll talk about it at some point on another episode. Yeah, we will. Because um, I feel like that's one of the most interesting things about your career is that, you know, you've been doing this for a long ass time. and Thanks. Thanks for reminding me. <laughs> <laughs> you old as fuck, man. <laughs> no, I mean, like, obviously you're a baby. But, you know, people... I don't know, so much of the popular uh, industry is, like, focused, we're obsessed with these, like, overnight successes, which are never really overnight successes. Like, like the whole Billie Eilish, like, mad popularity that's happened over the last couple of years, it's not just her, even though that seems like she came out of nowhere. Mm. You know, her brother, who's, like, arguably the genius behind a lot of the stuff she's doing, not to discredit her, obviously, she's obviously mega talented, but, like, you know, what's his journey had to be for years to, like, be as good a producer as he is to make her... You know what I mean? I don't know, there's so much has to come into it in order to... So it's super important, I think, to kind of, yeah, take time to to pay tribute and (laughs) honour previous Cece. The lost songs. (laughs) The lost songs. Okay, so moving on to our final song, Holes, which when I first heard this, I was like, that's the origin of the Cece that I know. Like, Interesting. Yeah, that to me is the most, like what I would consider to be, like, a classic Charlotte Carpenter song. Um, I can hear... I don't know. I, I To me, anyway, it feels like I can hear that you're really comfortable in your own voice now. Mm-hmm. It's got that kind of, like, heart-wrenching, but really... Ca- it's, like, a catchy melody, but it's, like, heart-wrenching, and, like, there's a lot of, like, soul been put into it. Um, yeah, I don't know. How do you feel about this song? I, um... I actually really love this song. It's probably still one of my favorite ones that i've ever written and um one day i will 110 percent bring back to life um yeah everything you just said is the way i feel about it because the moment i wrote it and again i remember it very clearly um i remember showing it to lee i remember um writing it in my bedroom i remember the demo i just remember everything so clearly because suddenly I'd gone into this new land of territory. It, it just, it just, that didn't make sense. A new territory. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> new land of new territory. Land of territory. But yeah. Uh, suddenly know. I had just written something that felt super pure. Mm. There was, and we touched on it a moment ago with, with In the Night, but, you know, there was no getting around the fact how pure this song was. And I think that's actually from a place of 
um, of comfort. Like when I wrote this song, uh, my dad had come back into my life after a couple of years. So I felt complete. I felt like I had back what I'd been missing. And here I am with this music career that was kind of going somewhere. I had my dad back in my life. You know, I was I was working like a part-time job still, but it wasn't really getting in the way of the music career. And I felt like I'd had my life kind of head balanced out, you know. Mm. Um, so it was just, it was just super pure. I meant every word of it. It happened really quickly. There was no going back to double check the words were right. You know, it just came out. It was one of those perfect songs. It just landed onto my, onto my lap. And um, this was the very first time that I had played the electric guitar. Oh, wow. Yeah. Which is like your signature now. It is. It was completely acoustic for years. And then I showed this song to Lee and he was like, we need to get you an electric guitar. And I was like, really? It's like, I think this could be, this isn't an acoustic song. And I was like, all right. So he sent me home with a Dan Electro guitar, um, a U2. 1980s it was great mm. and this amp and it's actually a really big amp I remember walking through the door in, in mum's house and she was like what is this <laughs> well, why have you got this amp yeah. you've got no room in your bedroom you've got enough guitars like why are you doing this and I was like oh no Lee said that I've got this new song and he thinks you know I should like make it electric and he was like she was just like Jesus Christ <laughs> you know, here we go just make sure you turn it down. I don't want it too loud or that spiel. Yeah, yeah. So then I go upstairs, I plug it in, cap her on fifth fret, and I chime away. And yeah, my whole mind, it just like exploded from that point onwards. Really? Were you like, this is... This, this is, is it. Like, this is, this is the sound. This is my sound. I've found something now that belongs to me for the first time ever. Oh, I love that. You know, it, it took... A variety of songs it took years really not like years and years but it took a good i think when did this come out uh i think it was 2014 was it yep it was 2014 this song came out right. and um it was definitely a time where i was just like right i found who i am yeah like you can hear it i think in my voice i'm not being anyone but myself yeah the guitar is just like really pure and we're not trying to copy anyone else um, it's emotional, it means something, it's not overproduced, we really respect the song, and any production that we put on it, we followed with the emotion of the song. Mm. And this, I think, I'm pretty sure, like, this was the song as well, from Lee's perspective, that made him realise that I had something. Okay, well, let's go in for Hole. <laughs>
I feel super emotional listening to that song. And I feel like it's just classic you to be like writing a song so sad about such a happy time in your life. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what? I was actually talking to um, a friend of mine recently, about a week ago. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, we were talking about the fact that as artists, you can't help but go to like dark places. Like it's like innately built inside you that when you go through any good or terrible thing in life and you feel like you have to write something for it it is channeled through the dark side of you mm. or you, you think about life in slightly darker ways or you are incredibly like more self-aware than other people mm. you just see and live your days completely different that is yeah that's true I, I feel like the people that I know in my life that are most creative are often also the ones plagued by yeah. existential angst so <laughs> but what, what's always so funny about that is like like my dad for example when I'm playing your songs um in the car he's like yeah oh, you'd never know that she was like you know, <laughs> such a happy like you know just like really positive uplifting like just kind of like amazing person to be around just, like, sounds really sad I know. I know it's weird isn't it how you choose to how, how you choose to like express yourself I think if I'm um if I'm sad, like outwardly sad, on a normal day, you'd probably be like, "Oh, she's super sad today." Like, mm. I wonder what's, wonder what's wrong with her because most of it does does come out of my songwriting. But I think songwriting just allows your mind to access something. Have you always like what age? Did, I feel like we've talked about this before, but what age did you start writing songs? I started writing poetry when I was about fourteen, um, and it. I actually started writing poetry off the back of uh, my nan, Nanny Carroll. Um, she, I was like writing these little like, um, like kind of like end of the world poems on my computer. <laughs> um, and I remember really vividly writing one of my first ones about the sea because I, I love the sea. And but I was re- writing about how it can like kill you, but at the same time is like, the relationship between like the sea and the moon is like completely then like the power of the earth and all this mm. stuff it was really like deep and dark anyway yeah. I started writing this poetry and my nan was in the room and she was like oh you're into poetry now and I was like yeah I am <laughs> and uh, and she showed me this poem um that she'd found and she had it in a bag because she worked um in like hospices and like old people homes and stuff like that and she um said I found this poem that was in an old lady's room and um I want you to type it up for me because I've tried finding who wrote it we don't know if the old woman wrote it we don't know if she found it but it was in her personal belongings and I just think it's incredible so I Mm. opened up this piece of paper and the poem was called crabby old woman (laughs) right and it was about these women that end up in hospices needing care um and when we look at them that's all we see we don't see the life that they've lived yeah so there I am typing up this poem for my nan just so that I've got it forever because she knows that she might lose this piece of paper, but we don't know who wrote it. Um, and I've still got it today. I've still got it on my laptop. That's so and, cool. And she, in her giving that poem to me, is kind of like a gift. It just encouraged me then to keep writing poetry, mm. and even like the meaning of that poem back then. So I must have only been only about fourteen or fifteen, and to read this poem that your nan explains to you in that way, it just again just kind of 
encourage my mind to keep thinking, keep processing about all these people that have different lives. And I was thinking about that old woman for years to come. Wow. You know, and I, when I lost Nanny Carol, maybe about four or five years ago, um, I had to just go find that poem and read mm. it, you know. It's so it's so amazing to think that there are these like big pivotal moments that seem probably really insignificant at the time yeah. and actually you can trace them back and go actually that's that's where it began like that's yeah that's there's a reason that's stuck in your head yeah she yeah exactly like she I, I think when she gave me that poem I only had like maybe one or two poems on the computer and you know it's like when you read a book you know like all of this stuff is knowledge and it's power and it feeds you and I just thought oh my god like I understand this poem you know and I understand the darkness in this poem. And maybe that old woman wrote it, but I don't know who that old woman is. And you just start to spiral naturally. I was like 14, just spiraling, thinking about poetry and people and and poetry that isn't so on the surface, you know? Yeah. Um, which is so funny because at around the same time, I was probably learning my first ever poem, which was about cats. Here we go. Cats sleep anywhere, any table, any chair. Top of piano, window ledge. In the middle, on the edge. <laughs> and you remember it? Yeah. That's amazing. That's amazing. But that's so funny. Like, <laughs> as well, knowing the person I've turned into, that's hilarious. That like you, yeah, you were like all up in your deep dark feelings, like way back then. <laughs> oh. Took me a while to find my darkness. <laughs> Not that strictly great. dark, but it is deep. Um, so going from like that, so like you're writing poetry. Then you're starting to write your songs, like they're turning into songs when? Yeah, they're turning into songs when I uh, like get a guitar for Christmas. Um, obsessed with Avril Lavigne, got a guitar for Christmas, that yeah. old story. Yeah. Um, that old chestnut. That old chestnut. <laughs> and then just kind of naturally being like, oh, I've got some, I've got some words on my computer, let's get them on, you know? Mm-hmm. And then just formed, and it never stopped. Right, and then it brings you to whole. It brings me to whole. Where this is like the first you know experience of being like wow like that's it yeah this is it this is what i've been trying to find and what about the electric guitar on this song is like so because you said obviously it like created this um snowball effect where everything from then on was electric it was it was just this pivotal moment in my life where i thought that i'd found a sound that belonged to me especially when you'd spent a couple of EPs and a lot of years constantly trying to imitate somebody or sound like something else. And I just remember playing this guitar and thinking, okay, this is this is it then. This is me. You know? But then the electric guitar actually brings a hell of a lot of problems as well because oh, really? you can't play certain chords in the same way. Hmm. You have to think about kind of sonically what's the best way to get a particular chord to Why sound the way it should. Like, you know, like, open open chords on an acoustic guitar, like an open C, yeah. for example. It's something to do with the third and how, like, it clashes because there's so many frequencies and sounds coming out of an electric guitar. All of these different sounds and stuff, they can, like, clash and it feels a little bit uneasy. It's not right. as clear, but on an acoustic guitar, it's just wood. Yeah. So it's like super, super pure, but there's like electronics involved and um, there's like frequency clashes and stuff and it doesn't always sound very nice. So I had to like learn bar chords for the first time and I had to learn like 
different ways of playing things and it was really it was completely unapologetic if you fluffed up on the electric guitar you could hear it oh interesting but on the acoustic guitar you can fluff up and just carry on yeah you know it's like it's, you can kind of hide a lot in the things that go wrong on an acoustic guitar but not on the electric yeah because it's so crystal clear yeah it's it? so clear and it just really chimes through and if it's out of tune god you'll know about it you know <laughs> if you've played the wrong string you'll hear it have you, have you had times like that when you're oh. like, oops. Oh, my, oh, whoopsie. But now, but, now, <laughs> but now at the point where I'm just like really honest about it, I'm like, oh, okay, let's start that again. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, um, but yeah, the electric guitar is complicated because then you turn, you go into the world of what amp should I be using for this guitar? You know, it, if I go down the route of guitar pedals, well, what do I need? What do I want? What's the best? What's going to work together? And as soon as there's electrics involved, everything goes to shit. That's so cool, though, like, because you're rediscovering this. Presumably, this is, like, this is, what, like, at least a year or two out of uni. Yeah. You've, like, you've been playing music for a long, long time. You've been writing songs for a long, long time. And it's almost like at the very same time that you found your voice and you're finally comfortable with that, now you're having to, like, learn this whole new production style. Yeah, like, completely relearn everything, you know, and, and kind of going into the studio with Lee and like in like a recording situation you can go in with an acoustic guitar and it will like sound as it is but then you plug in the electric guitar and you suddenly think oh my god that chord doesn't work there mm. and you, oh it's so complicated with an electric guitar like there's so many things against you and it takes ages to get that formula right like with the setup i've currently got now um it's it i think i've got it and i'm happy with it and it's taken me years yeah years and years and years to be like okay i'm happy with this setup right now and is there a difference uh like like a uh, an acoustic guitar would sound different from guitar to guitar is it yeah. the same with electric like each each electric guitar has its own sound or is it a yeah, lot more similar? completely because they're made of different woods and they have different strings and pickups and necks and there's just so there's so much to electric guitars that make it so complicated and but I mean, a lot of that stuff you can, you know, is controllable because you can pick that certain amp because that's the kind of sound that it will develop. Or if you buy this guitar pedal, this certain fuzz will be that fuzz. But ultimately, it comes down to the way the person plays it. So the way I play my electric guitar won't be the same way you play it. Mm. And the sound will differ coming out of the amp. Yeah. So I had to learn about dynamics for the first time and was like, oh, if I play really soft here, that's cool. But then if I play really hard here, it gets a little bit too distorted. Don't like that. Okay, let's change the guitar pedal. And it's like a constant game of, of cat and mouse. That's so um, fascinating. It's interesting and I'm still learning today, but God, it was annoying. Yeah. Because it wasn't just like, here I am rocking away an electric guitar. It was like... You need to go back to school, my friend. Yeah, and yeah. reskill it. And, and what was it like to play it live for the first time? Were you nervous because of that? Because there was so much technical... Um, I was nervous. I was nervous because at this point, Lee was teaching me a lot about the electric guitar, so I was ultra aware mm. of everything that could go wrong. Um, but actually, playing the electric guitar for the first time, which would have been when I played Hole for the first time, it was one of the most magical memories i have really yeah like it i was playing um every month in leicester at the tea parties i had like a residency um i think i've mentioned in some podcasts before and um i knew that this song was special lee knew my manager at the time knew and it, 
I was just like, I don't even know what came over me. I don't know if it was my decision or maybe something my manager suggested. I can't remember, but it was a pretty busy room. And he was like, when it comes to this song, like, just, you know, let's like, I get everyone to sit down or something. There was a conversation about it. And I was quite nervous at this time to like direct the audience mm. to ask them to do something. Mm. Um, but I did. I was like, for this song, I just want you to all to like sit down and, and listen to what it is I have to say. Wow. And it was so powerful. Was it was it? like, there was no one made a noise. It was quite dark in that room anyway. And all I could see were just like these bodies around the room. It was it was kind of like nearly a sold out show. And it looked even more sold out when, when everyone sits down on the, sh- on the floor. Um, and I really like, I gave them a reason to listen to me. Yeah. They couldn't just stand up and shuffle around or be on their phone or take a photo. They had to sit down because I could see them and they could see me. Yeah. Um, it was so powerful. It was so good. And it, and I kept doing that then. From that point onwards, every time I played Hole, I would tell people to sit down. It got to the point where some people just knew and they'd sit down. Ah, oh, that's so but cool. It, it was so cool. It was it was such an exciting time in my career at that point. Just, what, what else was happening in the larger scale, scheme of things with your career? I was... Um, things were just kind of... Everyone knew that when Hole came out, well, not everyone, but the people I was working with at that time knew that it was a new direction, because it was. It wasn't folk music anymore. It was kind of alternative music, really. Yeah, it was... Everyone knew that I'd kind of landed on something that that was mine and was maybe... uh, I can't really think of the right word, but it was a little bit more grown up. It was a little bit mature and um it opened up some great doors you know i was um i was playing in really cool venues i was playing in like second room of like o2 academy and like not headline shows like (laughs) that hasn't happened yet but Mm. i was on support tours for the first time i was playing with people like george ezra um i then moved on i did a support tour with marika hackman who's still incredible and doing amazing things and you know she invited me on a tour with her at a time where i really didn't have that many fans like you know, I had, like, people, like, in my life that were really supportive and coming down to the tea parties, but not to the point where I could go off and tour. Mm. And I start, I started being offered, like, legit support slots because I was worth ticket sales. And, yeah, how did that come about? Like, how did they know about you? Were these people that were coming to your shows? Was it, like, an online thing? Was it word of mouth? What was I there? think it was, like, a word of mouth thing. I think the quality of the videos were getting better as well. And this was at a time when the music video was key. Right. Like, you know? So, like, every person had a, had a music video. And it was a really massive thing to have a music video. And, like, you'd have music video parties for it. You know, it was... It was in a really sweet time of iTunes still dominating the market and music videos still being a thing. So it was like, so I'm assuming like YouTube was was where you'd put these music videos. Yeah, it was, yeah. And actually the whole music video is still available. It's one of the only ones that you can still watch from the old. Yeah, I couldn't take it down because it was, it means so much to me from, from, from from the point of like where I've come from that song just it, it just means so much to me really and then that video is like pretty cool as well you know like I showed it to you earlier and it's like proper slick and really cool and I just thought this is the first time that I'm putting something out that feels completely mine yeah and um and yeah people just started to take me a little bit more serious as an artist 
So I was being, yeah, offered support slots in like really massive, cool venues across Birmingham, uh, some in London, Leicester, Nottingham. Um, I was being offered music festivals for the first time. Um, and it was kind of going in a direction that I never saw come in. I thought I'd be hustling away in pubs for the rest of my life because mm. that was what music was you know music to be a musician was kind of you know doing cover songs in the corner of a pub yeah you know but suddenly then I was invited into the music industry where that's not what you did what you did was make art and you got to be in really cool venues with artists that sold thousands of more records than you that's really cool so it was like exposing you to this kind of new level it was yeah completely new league and what happened after this kind of song? After this song, um, naturally, you know, all good things come to an end, Alex. And <laughs> oh dear, <laughs> maybe we should have ended on the positive <laughs> light. <laughs> after this, um, after this EP, that's fine. Don't worry, I'm, I'm healed. Yeah. Uh, after this EP, um, I didn't work with that manager anymore. So that kind of... Oh, this is the saga which we talked about. Yeah, so that kind yeah. of relationship was kind of burning out and fizzing out. And so were the tea parties. So a whole happened like at the peak of that chapter, right. which is really cool because it set me up for a lot of the success that I have today. But um, it also felt at one point like I wasn't going to be able to do this without him, you know, which isn't the case because you pick up your shit and you carry on. Yep. Um, so I was dealing with uh like lawyers for the first time and people that lie to you and men that manipulate you and men that make suggestive comments and i was at this point really quite successful as an independent artist but then also feeling the real heavy shit of that as well because then people especially men felt like they could do certain things to you you wow. know they could torture you in particular ways they could lie to you and etc etc Wow. So it was definitely an eye-opener into, this is really cool, I'm in the industry now, but actually this is what it means to also be in the music industry and how am I going to deal with that? If right. I want to take this seriously, how, how am I going to get through that? Yeah. And what what came next in terms of like EP or songs, like After Hole? What was the next big kind of... After Hole was uh, the Take It All EP. Oh, wow, okay, so, so yeah, yeah. And we've yeah. already done an episode on Take It All. Which is, I think, when, uh, if you're listening to this and you haven't heard that episode, that's the one where we kind of talk about that time of your life when this kind of shit was kicking off with this manager yes. and what was kind of happening in your life. Um, yeah. So definitely go back and listen to that if you haven't already. Yeah, that's really interesting, kind of seeing that. It's, it's, it's interesting because I feel like with these three songs, what we're seeing is... Um, that first uh, incline, mm -hmm. you know, like if you saw it on a graph, it would feel like this steady progression, which at the time it probably, you know, you're probably looking back with rose tinted glasses and there was probably bumps yeah. in the road, right? Yeah. But in general, it was kind of an upward trajectory. Yeah. yeah. And then from what I remember from that conversation about the kind of take it all era, that is when kind of for the first time, not necessarily a dip, but definitely a plateau of like, mm -hmm. ah, shit. Which makes sense because you'd gone from, it's a bit like, you know, when you're, um, 
you're like in year six at primary school and you're like the top of the school and then you go on to high school and you're year seven and you're a baby and you're the bottom of the food chain it's kind of like you'd gone from being quite a big fish in the independent pool to now this tiny little maggot (laughs) in the wider yeah I was like this new artist like Mm. however exciting it is to be a new artist that does not last forever that shine does not last suddenly you do a couple of tours a couple of EPs and people are just like alright so when's the album and you're like I'm not ready for an album. I'm still growing. Like, come on. And they're like, I'm not interested in that. Mm. If you're new, you're interesting. You know, if you're an old seasoned pro, <laughs> uh, people in the industry don't actually have that much interest in it. Which is so weird, really, isn't it? Because I feel like... It's mad. We love... When it comes to, like, Hollywood, for example, we love, like, the old classics. Like, we love, like, you know, the kind of... The film stars that we've grown up with, like, Leo and, you know... Um, I'm trying to think, Meryl Streep. You know, these kind of, like, people that have had these legacy grits. Jane Fonda, you know, people that you Jennifer like, Aniston. Jennifer Aniston. I love Jen. Exactly. Like, we're seeing these kind of people grow and actually that's what sells is like the legacy of the actor whereas in the music industry it's really weird because it feels like it's the opposite it feels yeah. like ah you're not new and shiny anymore see ya yeah I don't I don't understand it all I know is that from you know from doing this for quite a long time now and from seeing the direction that my career will go from now on um, I I'm not in that world I'm not playing that same game and that's cool So did you have to make a conscious decision about like, yeah, that's not for me? I did, yeah. I did. I don't... Yeah, I think I had to make that decision, but also that decision kind of came to me at the same time because, you know, going back to the beginning of this podcast, like, love songs, I want to be in that pop world. I want to be, I want to be up in that grill, I want to be having dinner with Kate Nash. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Uh, And she still does, if you're listening, Kate. (laughs) I actually would love to have a coffee sometime. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Also, love that documentary on BBC4, thank you. Yeah, I still not Um, watch it, but I've been hounded to watch it. (laughs) Um, And also, Lily Allen, loved your book. (laughs) But, um, yeah, so I can see, I can see that, like, that's the only industry I knew existed back then. So that's what I wanted to be in. And then slowly you go into In the Night and you're a bit like, I'm kind of in between what I want right now. I'm discovering something. But at the same time, I'm still kind of trying to create these chirpy folk songs that you might enjoy. And then we go along a bit longer down the line and then we come along to Hole. Where it's just like, this isn't a pop song. You know, and this isn't going to sell millions and millions of records. But what it's actually going to do is make people take me seriously mm. and that's really that's all you could really want for someone to take your art seriously yeah well absolutely especially because like it was it's such like a um what's the word you know it's like literally like a, an immortalized uh memory of everything that was happening in your life it's like a snapshot that you can look back on everything was like coming together mm-hmm. so it's interesting that from there things go a little bit sideways Mm -hmm. because everything in your life has kind of come together and actually you're seeing for the first time like the truth of a lot of what you've been pursuing yeah which is quite interesting and I think again I I feel like obviously um so much of our discussions are me drawing comparisons between the music industry and the filming Mm -hmm. industry and tv and um I think again that's something that uh that I think everyone realistically has to learn whether they'll admit it or not. And some people obviously get 
caught up in that world you know they get into the the quote-unquote real music industry where it's like you know the money's being splashed around and it's like millions and trying to get you know big record deals and whatever it might be and they know the reality of that mm-hmm. and they know that it's not what they thought it was and they know it's shit but it's too late now because you're locked in yeah um and that is fascinating but the good the kind of positive spin on this just to end on, is the fact <laughs> that like <laughs> yeah the, the beauty and I know um I'm the first to admit that there is a lot of shit that comes with social media there's a lot of baggage but the reason why I am such an advocate for it and the reason why I'm such like a um a passionate believe in what like you're doing now with baby woman and what we're doing like with the content stuff is because now you can put a middle finger up to that industry and be like fuck you I don't need you anymore I can go straight to my audience and actually everything all the rules of the industry that were written over the last three four decades are Mm -hmm. completely irrelevant they're completely irrelevant like we've had so many conversations where it's like it's very obvious to anyone listening to this that I know nothing about music and the music (laughs) industry like I absolutely know nothing (laughs) but do I know how like you can reach a new audience and like what will connect with that audience absolutely because it's universal it doesn't matter what art you're making Mm -hmm. um and that's like a really cool it's like a cool time for you to be at this place in your life where that's what you're pursuing rather than going after like Mm. the kind of bullshit of like it's true like with every when you kind of go through it um almost like on a timeline of events from when i release certain things it becomes clearer and clearer and clearer like from hold onwards especially is that you know i'm not i i don't like this industry so what am i going to do about it you know and the further I've gone down that line, which is again, which is the whole reason why I set up Baby Win Records, is to be like, well, I'm just going to create my industry then, because that's what that's what works for me. And actually, we don't need them big players anymore, like you said. Um, and I also think, um, and I throw this word around all the time, but transparency has been like the the biggest tool for me in my career over the past couple of years, especially from meeting you as well. You know, you've encouraged me to just to be like, well, what's that song about? And, you know, like, why did you write that? And then as soon as people start asking you questions, you realise the importance of sharing them. Totally. Um, yeah, so why not go into the back catalogue and tell you everything you need to know? Yeah, despite uh, the fact that, like, <laughs> for the last six months, you're like, no, you're not listening to them. And I'm like, oh, please, please. Please, please. I think, I can't remember if it was you, was it Carolina? I was like, oh, yeah. This is love songs. And then Carolina was like, please play this live one day. And I was like, no. Oh, because she loves it. She genuinely she loves genuinely it. She genuinely plays it around the house. And I have to just close the door. This is um, Charlotte's uh, girlfriend, for anyone yeah. listening that doesn't yeah. know Carolina. She has a deep joy. When me and Carolina first met, she went and downloaded the whole back catalogue, right? <laughs> like, um, I think we met around Burn. So we met around how okay. we ever to know. So she went and downloaded like five, six EPs on iTunes. You were like, she's a good egg. <laughs> yeah, you, <laughs> you were like, look at all these receipts coming through for these album oh. sales. Like, yeah. And uh, yeah. and she went back and listened to them, and she was just like, I love love songs. I was like, really? <laughs> Yeah, we got some work to do on you girls. Yeah. <laughs> do you also not like coffee? Like, yeah. like do you like beer? No? Okay, that's why I come back to you. Um, <laughs> but she, so she really loves it. And she just thinks, oh no, this is great. Despite me telling her what it means, why I hate it. She's like, it's still a great song though, isn't it? <sighs> so she really, for her loving that song so much, is the whole reason I decided to do this Lost Songs podcast. Because I thought, 
there's so much back because back in the days of love songs in the night hole i was not at all open about what those songs meant nobody knew that those songs were about my dad you know nobody knew that love songs was about an ex-girlfriend and yeah you were coming into the industry at a time where you didn't give away them things there was always this air of mystery and that was cool like that's not cool anymore it's really not it's really not do you know what i was just thinking like the it's it's funny to think i wonder if that was ever cool like i wonder if obviously media was so much more expensive when we didn't have the internet so it makes sense that obviously the reason they're churning out these new pop stars every five minutes is because they you know there wasn't the ability to let you in on the back you know the kind of the uh, the backstory of like Lily Allen's life and what's happening with her and there was no guarantee that those fans would still be there uh, but I wonder actually if that was the case if because the equivalent of that would have been like a reality show or something back in the day but you know or like magazine articles or whatever um, but I wonder if like the music industry were kind of underestimating that and they were like oh yeah it's all about the new and the shiny when actually people love seeing like the mm. evolution of someone and especially yeah. when you can, you know, you see like the mega fandoms of like One Direction and Justin Bieber. What is that core, what is the core power in those fandoms? It's the fact that like they've grown up with these artists, like, and they see those songs and resonate with like, I remember exactly what I was going through. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like yeah. when we listen to like nostalgia kind of things, it's like, oh my God, what a tune. But imagine <laughs> if like those artists had then been allowed to just put out whatever music they wanted whenever which is exactly what the internet allows, um, you'd probably still be like, I mean, I know you are still a massive Kate Nash and Lily Allen fan, but like, you'd feel like they were like your bezies. I think as well, like one of the reasons why I love that Lily Allen book was so so much is that she's a very open public figure. She doesn't really keep that much at bay about how she's feeling, especially politically, which I love. But that book revealed a lot about in a time where I listened to her every single day, like I was completely besotted by her first two records and thought she was just like the freshest thing I'd ever seen in my life. Like, mm. and suddenly I was hearing about how exciting those times were for her, but also how troubling they were for her. And it puts a whole different light on, on your age and what you were listening to but actually what was happening to her like behind the scenes yeah and I love that I'm the kind I'm the type of person that loves stuff like that anyway yeah. I love hearing about people's lives and why they wrote certain things um, but there was no chance that she would have shared that back then yeah what, what it's interesting isn't it because I wonder if was that a sign of the times because you just couldn't because actually if like you were like a miserable especially like back in that day it was like a very prescribed version of what a woman in the music industry could be it's like if you come out it's like oh i'm sad and all this stuff's mm-hmm. happening it's like when you're at the mercy of a record label that's like yeah. a, just a no-no because you've got like literally like 12 people around a table who are your P- pr team mm-hmm. like who are telling you like nope you're not saying that's not the right message or whatever yeah I wonder if, like, she was going through the same stuff, mm-hmm. like, now, whether she would... She probably would be and how, tweeting like, about it. And how empowering would that have been to yeah. young women like myself to hear that message? Yeah. You know, this is why it's so important now that we share them messages. Because who knows what the younger people are going to think coming through. Exactly. So we need to just, like, keep encouraging honest conversation. 
I love it, and that's what we do here on that's the what C- we do here. That's what we do here on the CC Songbook. On the CC Songbook. Well, listen, this is this has been um, this has been a big one. This has been a beast, but I've enjoyed every goddamn second of it. I hope I haven't sent you to sleep. Absolutely not. I, I hope, found this. Yeah, I hope maybe you're driving on a long journey and you're, mm. you know, reflecting on life gone by. Or maybe you're just washing up the plates. Maybe, yeah. yeah. And your hands have gone wrinkly because it's such a long <laughs> podcast. Either way, I just know that, you know, this is the kind of stuff where in 10 years' time, when you're doing, like, I just can't even imagine the crazy-ass shit you'll be doing. Like, well, I can well imagine it because I can see it. You'll be but, there, honeybee. Uh, yeah, I will. Um, but this will be the kind of thing where a fan will go back who's, you know, only recently discovered you in, like, 2030. Uh, <laughs> and, and, and they'll go back and they'll listen to this and be like, holy shit, that is so cool that I get, like, this insight. And Hopefully. Yeah, that's why I'm such, like, a big advocate of you just, like, putting out shit online because it's, like, not only is it going to be cool, like, for people to connect with you and f- see what you're up to, but also it's going to be wicked to look back on this and be like, that's the journey. It is the journey. Just like looking at your old lyric books and being like, wow. I know. And also, I actually would, before we turn this off and go and have some food, yeah. I would like to completely dedicate this podcast to um, all of my OG fans. And the OG fans are either the people that came uh, to the tea parties religiously every month or they come to like every Birmingham show ever. Um, a lot of you have been listening to me from the very beginning. Um, so you know all of these songs and you are the people that ask me to play these songs and I always say no um, but talking about now. you know um, I don't think any artist forgets the people that have been championing them from the very very beginning so uh, this is this is for you guys oh that's so cool yeah it's so important to remember remember the people that got you to where you are because without that support you ain't shit you ain't got nothing Mm. Uh, and if you ask nicely and pester her on social media maybe she'll send you one of the 200 love song CDs that she's got stashed in her <laughs> mum's attic <laughs> giveaway all I'm saying a nice giveaway. little retro giveaway give me an email be kind yeah. <laughs> cool any last words no I'm quite happy with what we said today and that's it bye thank you bye